Palando. Holding out for Palando. You were voting for the other guy. Oh, that's right. I mean, Alatar. <laughs> Alatar. <laughs> Hey everybody, it's Bina 007 back for another Vassals of Kingsgrave podcast on the Rings of Power. And today we're going to be discussing episode three of what I presume will be one of many seasons. And we could potentially spoil anything in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien or any of his published, well, not his published, any of the adaptations of his works. I am joined today by Mary. I'm Mary here and I'm Mary on Discord. By Michael. By Michael. Hey, Carl Wadegi on Discord. By Matt. Varley on the forums. And by Alex. Hi, I Wendy on the forums. Do you feel finally that your forum name finds its appropriate home? Yes. <laughs> well, oh. it was fun to be on the on the Summer Alien cast with that name too. Fantastic. Well, welcome back, I Wendy, after a long, long hiatus. And we welcome yes. Jock. Um, Jock. Probably not as good suited as Alex is for this podcast, but um, I'll try my best with my um, only Peter Jackson level of um, lore. <laughs> okay, cool. Right, and we will start by giving our lemon cake ratings or our rings of power ratings. We are not going to do them out of 19 as Amber Rocks tried to last time because it's impossible to figure out what people think of this week's episode. Um, let's go in the same order. So let's start again with Mary. How did you find episode three, Mary? Really enjoyed it. I love Numenor. I'm really, I'm really here for this. <laughs> so, um, I guess a four. Yeah, four. I'm willing to be like to have something mind blowing to go up to five. But I just, I love being in this universe again, and it, it all looks gorgeous, and that's really why I'm there. So, uh, yeah, four out of five. I should uh, <laughs> say. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, Michael, how about you? I'll give this 2.5 out of 5 rings of power, Whoa. I would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, basically what I said last time, where it looks great, uh, amazing production values and costume design. I just wish the dialogue was better and felt less cheap. A lot of cheap conflict, in my opinion. Okay. I've, I've got this fear that Matt could go even lower than you, but Vali, how are you feeling? Uh, I didn't hate it. But I can like I just love being in this world, and I think I I think it almost insists upon itself. Like if you don't know Tolkien's works, you'd probably be like, "What the fuck is happening?" Um, I love Numenor. I think that's what the series is actually building in House of the Dragon. Is a little model of it. Yeah, I think the orc elf slave labor camp was just clunky, and the reading of the Hobbit names that didn't make it was. Uh, Maybe it's just the time of the year, but it reminded me of the 9-11 ceremonies that happened around this time of year. Welcome, Tedard. How are you? And what is your lemon cake rating out of five for this episode? Hello. Um, Ooh, that's a very good question. Um, I'd say four. Four lemon cakes. Um, I like the Numenor stuff. Hobbsy stuff was a bit weird, I thought. I actually like the the Arondir stuff. Um, I think that was quite good. Um, yeah, um, Yeah, that was about it. Happy customer. How about you, Jock? How many lemon cakes would you give us? Um, I'd give it four out of five. I really enjoyed it, like even though I 
don't really know like any of like the history or stuff. So um, I also find that um, really good to pair with House of a Dragon with their more sort of uh, Game of Thrones style um, George R. R. Martin uh, glaish postmodern cultural um, characters with the much more um, comfortable sort of uh, modernist characters of um, Lings of Power. Quite like the dialogue um, in a bit of a contrary way because I quite I feel like it helps make it feel like a proper alien sort of world, like well, well, more fantasy world, and um, it combined with the visuals um, get, um, has quite an effect and creating a fantasy environment for me. Great, well, that's good to hear. And Alex, how about you? And maybe you can give us your impression of um, one, two, and three. So, did you like three? And also, yeah. Did you think better or worse than the, the opening week's episodes? Yeah, uh, so I really like the first two episodes. I would have given them four out of five each. And this one, I'm still enjoying it, but I'd probably give it three and a half. I was excited to be a casual viewer of the show, and this episode kind of brought out some nitpicky side of me that I wasn't really planning on having but um i'm still excited to watch and i like numenor and we'll probably get more into the details later great well i come at this as you all know with very little silmarillion knowledge so i am more of a casual here but i continue to really enjoy it i love the visuals i just love being in this world i don't have enough knowledge to be nitpicky and maybe i watch this on the morning um, after the death of Her Majesty the Queen. So I was in a very emotional state. And so all the emotional stuff really resonated with me. So even the, the proto-hobbits saying, no one's left behind and we wait for them, really affected me. Like I was profoundly moved. And I loved, um, I loved Numenor and I particularly loved Elendil. I don't know why. It's like a Faramir hangover. I seem to have the hots for, for Numenorean blokes. <laughs> Me too. Oh. I'm I'm right there with you on the Elendil crush. <laughs> and I've since I've since cyber stalked him, and it's the same with the guy who plays Faramir. Like in real life, with real clothes and stuff, I don't find them hot at all. But somehow in character. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. So I'll watch if for that if for nothing else. So we've got we've got a bit of a mix in reviews. That's good. I know that hashtag Greg hated it, and even Amberox didn't really seem to like it. So um, definite, definite uh, strife. But I, I can take it as read that we all still love the visuals and the costumes. So before we get into the sort of, you know, the different character threads and how the narrative unfolded, maybe just a few words on Numenor because that was obviously the big new setting with new characters. For those of you who are law masters or otherwise, how did you find this vision of Numenor the first time you've seen this on screen? Okay, I don't know if I qualify as lore master, but let's go. I I really like how it looks. It's it's gorgeous. I love the big stone heads. That's like a really Numenorean thing that we find later in Gondor with the Argonath and all, all these Lord of the Rings settings. So it's really nice to see like the where they originated from. The palace has sort of a Minas Tirith by the sea feel. Uh, which I quite like. And I like the focus on the sea and the ships and the ships are beautiful too. Um, Cause they're really, they're, they're supposed to be a, a maritime force. And so I like that we really see that side of it. 
yeah, anyone else want to go or anyone else disappointed? I know, I think maybe was it hashtag Greg saying maybe it wasn't big enough or grand enough, but to me, the scale of it felt right because it's meant to be like Bravos, isn't it? It's a, it's an island thrown up in the middle of the ocean as a gift. So I felt the scale looked right. And I loved, as you said, Alex, the kind of the pre-architecture of what we'll then come to see in things like the Argonath and Minas Tirith, these kind of hints at a style I thought was really well done. Um, anyone else? So as I understood it, it's uh, you have the central capital, Numenor City, and then you have these vast tracts of land that are expanding out in five ways, which we saw them take like horseback rides to. So I, I didn't find it like small or underwhelming in any matter. And also when you just look at the main Numenor City, it's big. Like it's 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 got big ass statues and it just, yeah, it, <laughs> I have nothing else to say than it was really big. And I kind of take issue with the proto uh, rock work, like you said. It's actually, this is them at the height of their power. And what they did was they, it seemed to, they took a big time jump because uh, they referenced Alfirazan, who's the last uh, king of Numenor. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be the, he, uh, he's going to be the, what? Sorry. Um, so, uh, so in theory, Sauron should be in that tower room, uh, mm-hmm. whispering dark, dark secrets into his ear and telling him to, you know, um, I mean, conquer the band of the Valor. I am no lawmaster, but in defense of the writers, he's not the king yet. There's currently a queen regent on the throne, and he's not yet the king to yeah. have things whispered okay. in his ears, right? But Alex, do you have issues? <laughs> well, um, so from the first episodes, I was. I had the feeling we were at the beginning of the second age, right? Because the rings Me haven't too. been forged yet. Uh, Sauron's not around, really. Uh, it's all still, like, there's still a lot to happen before we get to the fall of Numenor. And now that we're Numenor, our Farazan's around, Elendil's around, Isildur's around. So that means that's the end of the Numenor timeline. And I don't really see how we can have all the action with Sauron, the rings, and all of that fit into... And yeah, I agree. I think it would have been better for the writers to, if it's going to go seasons and seasons, it would have been, been better to, like, do it during the rule of, like, Tar Palantir, where he's trying to, like, reconcile the men of Numenor and the elves, and it doesn't really work, and then you could finally see, like, the gradual decline and, like, the ban of elves entering Numenor and stuff like that. I think it would have been... I feel like now they have to rush through everything, and it's just not going to... You know, it's going to be like Game of Thrones where Littlefinger is zooming off to multiple places in a day or two. I mean, they don't necessarily have to rush. Like, I, I get that in the book it happens over uh, centuries, but here it can still happen over, like, 30 years uh, or something like that. Because I think they just want to have one generations in the in the human, uh, the humans uh, part of the cast instead of having four or five like it, it would have maybe made more sense but it would have been harder to um make clear to the public i guess to have like part of the actors that don't age and and the rest of them um actually aging so i i guess that's why they chose to do that i think it, it can still work I, I i understand why it's not ideal for uh <laughs> um when you're when when you you're attached to how it it happens but i think it 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 can still work my argument against that would be that they're introducing halbrand who's a quote dark man because he comes from the people that followed uh, morgoth 
So he doesn't have an extended life like the Numenorians do. So you could say, like, Elferazan, I think, lives to, like, 250 or 300 years old and only attacks the Valar in the very end of his life, obviously. Um, but, you know, what what will Halbrand do? We'll just see him die. Like, you know, oh. even if it takes 30 years, what's he going to do, do? Be old and feeble and trying to... Well, he, he's got to become a ring wraith in the next 30 years. Right? Oh, cool. But still, if it's, like, let's say 25 right now and it happens over 25 years it's still like it's still quite a long time to show on tv i i think uh and it kind of works with the one actor um so so i mean i understand i think i understand the reasoning behind having everything condensed into um um uh yeah uh, an easier timeline for them in terms I mean, of the just, acceleration just... sorry you can see the the two factions of the king's men versus the elf friends appear to have been like very settled where the king's men have almost complete dominance over Numenor and they've got to the point where they're refusing all elven ships and have for several generations now I'll appeal to lawmasters here because as I understood it I don't think tensions between the men and the elves ever rose to this level where there was a complete embargo on any elves entering and I would question why they're choosing to, to, to have this decision of such hostility because I don't, well, this is my problem with some of the episodes. I don't think it leads to any inspired choices, just cheap drama, in my opinion. So, so uh, there was a ban on elves, and that's why it's important. They even mentioned in the show that Elendil lives in the West, and it was, you know, see, uh, you know, whispered that his house still had uh, interactions with elves uh, that are coming from the Lonely Island. Um, there, there was a the the reason for the ban was because of Sauron's, you know, whispering, you know, dark secrets into the rulers' uh, minds. Minds. Sauron ears. isn't here he yet. Whisper secrets in the ears, <laughs> but he is. He has to be. And I think what we'll probably oh, see. So you think is Sauron's Sauron. in Numenor currently, and we just haven't seen him? Yes. Yeah, there's still I that. Think he'll Al- probably be introduced. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. So there's that albino guy from the trailers. He's we haven't seen him yet. So that's probably that's probably him. I haven't seen the trailers. Yeah. Well, I would suspect that. Uh, I really like your um, Halbrand's uh, ring rate thing. I suspect that we might see Sauron in the next episode, and he going to Halbrand in the jail or whatever. I think we can still have something uh, with like it. It's been going on for a while in Numenor that Sauron has been there with an influence, and he hasn't had that influence uh, in Middle Earth. So someone like Galadriel would still be like, "I feel like evil is not is not gone, but I don't really see it yet." And they can have like maybe they shifted a bit of the Numenor timeline, and so it still has been going on for a while. I mean, that could work as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, right now he's going to be fair. Or who's stirring shit up in the south? Like, who's with the Sauron? Sauron is everywhere all at once. (laughs) So he has Littlefinger's time traveling machine or teleportation. Yeah. Well, so it's um, Gandalf, and he he needs still has to go a couple days to get on his feet. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever that happens, 
So remember that uh, Sauron hasn't declared himself as Sauron yet. He's still disguised as Anatar. So he'll he'll expose himself as Sauron later when he when the One Ring is forged. Yeah, sure. But he still has to get to the part where he forges the ring. I think his is the shadowy jumping around a little bit. We will come back to Numenor because there's more to discuss there. But who do you think is? Well, we're just doing you know identities of people. So I think Halbrand. Ring Wraith, good call. Um, who do you think is the shadowy figure at the end of the Orc prison break episode that we see hoving into view? Is that Sauron yet to be incorporated into whatever fair figure that will um, manipulate Farazon or something else? What's the theory? He looked relatively fair of face, like it was... Um... It wasn't a clear shot of whoever this person was, so that was my assumption, the character that they're calling Adar, but what does everyone else think? Yeah, Did you know I... what, I think I'm like misremembering timelines, because I think Alpharazan comes, defeats Sauron, brings him back in chains, and then Sauron starts whispering shit into his ears, and then they, then they break the band, so... Yeah, yeah, that's that's so what happens in the uh, the official lore timeline, but um, right. I think something obviously different is happening here. It would seem. Yes, um, <laughs> I think I I watched the I watched the video like um Adar means father in like one of the Elvish languages or something, but that's probably not much of a clue. Okay, but considering well, um sorry sorry, uh, but considering uh, that was what the episode was called, and there was like lots of daddy issues going around, so. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's get back to Numenor and, and get into Numenor. We head back to the proto-hobbits and um, the prison break. So how did you all find the storytelling in Numenor? I know that, Michael, you said you found it to prove to have this very um, hardcore division between both elves and Numenorians, but also within the Numenorians, it feels like the factions are pretty hard done by. It kind of felt strange to me that Helen deal with his very on-point elf friend name, that somehow I didn't really understand if they were so anti-elf how the people who still like and keep faith with the elves can rise to positions of power or military importance like Elendil. And also that they deposed a king, but he's still hanging around in the tower somewhere. So that I just didn't really understand how that works because they seem so militant, but apparently some coup d'etats happened. You all who've read the books, Wagwan, what's going on in that? Uh, I have to read the Akalabeth again because <laughs> I, I, I forget because I think Alpharazan takes the, the daughter that was supposed to be ruler to wife against her will. And that was how he sees power, or maybe there was a guy before him, I can't remember. So who's the Queen Regent, or is she just made up for the TV show? She's just the woke, a woke Queen Regent, I don't know. Yeah, she, I think she's made up, because... Uh, who are we talking I, about? I, Tar Muriel? The, the Queen Regent. Yeah, no, she's, um, yeah, she's a character in the story, I remember. Or has, has our Farazan not usurped yet? No, but he has, because there's a... Well, I think, I think he's tech. No, she's Queen Regent, but he's like a vizier character. So you should always be suspicious of those guys. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so we have to see him manipulated by Sauron, maybe to overthrow her, and then the Doom of Numenor, I guess. Makes sense. Um, so what's she like in the books? Like, Tadar, does is she like a big character, or do we not see much of her? Because she's well, like we don't quite see a big... much of Numenor. Oh, okay. Ever oh, because okay. it's all just the appendices and the Akalabeth. The Akalabeth. So it's mostly just like timelines and such and such became king, and then was followed by such and such. And 
So there was me they, naively thinking that the fall of Numenor would be like a big part of the Silmarillion. No, they, they don't really have like personalities. Help me Sorry. get my genealogy right. Who's the guy that they overthrew and who's not king anymore? Uh, Tar Palantir. Ah, right. And um, the shady advisor that looks like he's going to be a bad guy is actually going to be a bad guy. That's it. Uh, our Farazon, yeah. So I'm, okay. def- yeah. I'm definitely not, this is definitely off the top of my head and I'm definitely not reading this. Yeah, yeah. Why is Tar Muriel, um, why is she queen regent and not just queen? Um, well, because I get, I guess they're sort of doing, uh, oh, he's crazy and we can't, um, and he can't rule. Because um, this happened to George III and okay. his, his son was uh, regent. Um, well, yeah. That happened to like Henry VI too or something? Can he go <laughs> mute or something? I, great. I'm, I understand now. Thanks. So concerning the interactions that we see in Numenor between Galadriel and uh, the Queen Regent, I found the overt hostilities to be very strange. Um, just because they seem to be refusing to even give transport to Galadriel back to Middle-earth, like that was seemingly forbidden that they would do anything, so the implication is either they're going to keep her there for a prisoner for the rest of her life, or they're just going to kill her, which would seem very bizarre. They're not going to use her for, like, hostage purposes... It struck me as you have an analogy to, like, the Cold War between, you know, the West and the USSR, and you've now just recovered this very powerful or important agent, and you're not even gonna, like, try and use it for diplomatic uh, potential. I found that weird. I found it very strange. Yeah, you don't get that either. You'd figure they'd be like, we don't want you on this island, we're putting you on this immediately and get you the fuck out of here. Yeah, don't let the door kick you on the back or anything. And then equally, Hal Brand having to, to be the voice of reason um, amongst these like two very regal ladies. Like listen to him. Yeah, I mean, that was just a lot of wasn't it? <laughs> and also that someone, he, he's just like wandering around trying to go to forges and like offer his services. The whole thing was very badly written. And the less said about it, the better. Other than just, I guess, to clumsily establish that he's into creating things. Maybe we should talk about the ride to the the House of Law, um, which I found utterly beautiful to see Galadriel finally happy and on horseback, but Amber found incredibly cheesy. And, How did you feel oh, about that? I, that was so cheesy. <laughs> it was, but like the 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 slow motion was a bit too much. But like it was way too slow. It was like, way I too would slow. Get slow motion ride where you actually see the horse moving, but this was just like especially because it's slow. like. A beautiful thing about horses is how they move. And on that note, thank God, either they did a much better job than uh, in The Hobbit, or they actually used real horses, which was like one of my main um, things about The Hobbit. Like I was really annoyed at that, that they used very terrible CGI horses where they could have used real ones like in The Lord of the Rings. So yay, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it looks like they were definitely real horses. I think I'm the only one who found that beautiful then. I I thought it was just nice to see Galadriel happy on horseback. I thought thought the landscape shots and the zooming in was quite good, but then like the cheesy grin, um, like sort of paused on. I found that a bit weird. Oh, okay. Well, I am genuinely the only one who likes this then. (laughs) As long as Galadriel isn't staring daggers at everyone else, which she does for about 95% of all her screen time, I'm also happy. So I agree with you, Bina. (laughs) 
Yeah, she's not she's she's not the the happiest, most charming of people. Whereas, like old old Galadriel that we see in Lord of the Rings is so beautiful and fair and charming and never has to demand angrily anything. But I guess that's a long time to come in the future. I find this um, Galadriel very impatient to like mm. for an elf because like she gets to Num- to Numenor and she wants to leave within like five hours. There's no there's no time to lose. Whereas when you see elves in other contexts, like Elrond, uh, he's like, oh, it's been 20 years. That was a, a fun little time. And even like when Gandalf comes back to see Frodo about the ring, it's like 17 years later. There's there's a sense that for elves and other immortals that they don't have the same relationship to time as mortals. but in the case of Galadriel, she's like the most impatient character of all in this episode, mm. which I find a bit weird. Yeah, and like Although, it predicts what they they were at pains to establish in Khazad Doom, the idea that you can unintentionally yeah. hurt people by not taking time seriously or mortally. And yet here she is always rushing about. Um, you know, if this is a centuries old plan to sort of have a hiding place in the Southlands, then you know, ten minutes isn't gonna isn't gonna worry you. But it was a nice touch, exactly. wasn't it? This idea that Elendil would be sort of or that she would see this library as something made by an old friend, even though it's depicted kind of in stained glass from from decades ago or centuries ago that to Elendil I think is really nice, given that he is also yeah. longer lived than men. That was a nice touch, yeah. although I should point out on behalf of hashtag Greg, he doesn't understand how those guys are still on scrolls, but the proto hobbits already have a book. Um. <laughs> <laughs> mm, fair. So I just love it. Magical and wise, and they denote wisdom. So <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful. Any any depiction of a lovely library with old scrolls, I'm just so happy about. Um, Same. Anything I think else with Galadriel, they they sorry. Um, they're trying to get get us to feel some sense of urgency about evil rising and they're doing it by making her very impatient and anxious and it's not working very well i agree because it's it it is out of character for an elf um and like they could have her be very um uh like worried about things without being uh, too impatient like she is now and i think that they're going a little over the top uh with her mm. uh yeah with her impatience like it has to happen now it's uh, we are in grave danger right this second and that that doesn't really work with the quietly growing evil thing that uh should be happening where she just stares off across the sea and we can see the worry on her face or something like that would, yeah, I think, be a much better characterization of her concern. That's how I would write the show when I be a writer. I do wonder if they should have cast her with someone slightly older because she has, she well, does have that sort of impetuosity of, of youth about her. Yeah, that's weird too, right? Like, she's she, she does have a, a weird youthiness to her uh, which like Elrond doesn't have, for instance, and and that that changes the dyna- dynamic between the two and and between how it like it's not how it, it should be, um, and it's kind of weird. Yeah, I agree. Anyone got anything else to say about Numenor and all things Numenorian apart from the hotness of Elendil? Is it like that? Why do they have a table that only has the Southlands on it? <laughs> <laughs> 
Does Elendil, do we see um, Isildur's sister? Is she a character that exists in the book? I thought that was all quite sweet. Um, Maybe. No, Isildur and Anarion were the only yeah, two that... issues of Elendil that are spoken about. Okay. But the actress that plays her is very attractive, so I'm, all, I'm okay with it. Hubba hubba. <laughs> Sorry, such a dude. Such a bro I thing to I, t- I took it there first. I objectified first, don't worry. Um, <laughs> and she's going to be a builder, apparently. Yeah, which is yeah, she, cool. she got into builder college. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Good for her. Yeah. Um, I thought it was quite nice to see a sort of normal family interaction, though. It's not one that I consider typical of um, Lord of the Rings or fantasy worlds. It was quite domestic and bourgeois. Where, where's the mum, though? She uh, died in childbirth, of course. Oh, so yeah. Disney. So <laughs> Disney. And yet creating an opening for me, so it's all good. <laughs> I mean, that's the easiest way to just bring a little darkness in some characters while conveniently getting rid of another female character that uh, doesn't exist in the book. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, they brought a new one in. Right, shall we transition to the proto-hobbits, the Harfoots, to a scene where they are now going to make their great migration, which we are taken to believe happens every few seasons when they have, uh, you know, replenished their stocks. And that this is a hazardous thing, that people do die while making it, and it's especially risky to be put at the back of the caravan. And that the stranger is going to help the the family that we have come to know and love um, from falling too far behind. And he's starting to, in some way, be able to communicate with Nori and indeed her sister. So how did, I, I mean, I love this. I admit I watched this in a very, very sentimental mood, but I thought it was beautifully done. And what could have been very mawkish, the, the reading of the names, um, I thought was very sweet. So any thoughts and feelings on this? So does anyone think the stranger is not Gandalf still with this time jump? Palando! Holding out for Palando. You were voting for the other guy. Oh, that's right. I mean, Alatar. Alatar. <laughs> <laughs> Who are these people? Are they are they the blue wizards? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Ah. We would I only know they... this because of the last podcast. I, I did not know this. <laughs> By heart. Yes. <laughs> I think I think the party line or the vassals of King's Grave line is we would like them to be blue wizards because it would make more sense, but we recognise commercially they are more likely to be Gandalf. So. Yeah. <laughs> right, because the blue wizards were supposed to go like north over the mountains and then never heard of again. Uh, they went east. Uh, <laughs> oh, east over the mountains. Whatever. Yeah. You'll crack me up. No one cares. Not no one on the right <laughs> stuff cares about this stuff. <laughs> Um, anything to say about the Harfoots, though? Um, I did actually find it weird, this whole reading of the names. And, like, I, I, I find it a bit weird that they are this very wholesome community on the one hand. Um, they laugh and they have this weird uh, flowers in their hair and everything. Um, but also they leave people behind when they, like, cannot follow uh, quickly enough. And I get that they are trying to, same, they are trying to tell us that life in Middle-earth is dangerous. There are, there are dangers and, and things out to kill you and they've got to move and they cannot afford to wait for people. But still, it feels like they're like, oh, we, we miss you, but also probably we might not wait for this one fam- family tomorrow if they cannot follow. So that that's weird to me. It's a harsh re- yeah. utilitarian reality of, of what these 
journeys must have been like it it made me think a lot actually about the passage west in in u.s history and that must have been as harsh as it was in reality that you love them and you love the community and that the community must must be greater than the individuals so no it didn't bother me too much i'll die of dysentery (laughs) (laughs) well thank you for that visual matt (laughs) that wasn't read out in the books unfortunately but it also contrasts nicely with, you know, when you come to the Shire in Lord of the Rings, which is this, and, and the Hobbit, it's this beautifully settled, peaceful, abundant, most of all safe place, which is why the, the scouring of the Shire is so horrible at the end. It's always seen as this haven. And I guess it, to me, it was just contrasting with before you get to the Shire, that there is this kind of, ge- into this generational trauma of having been nomads. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe I'm generous. What, no, I think. No, I, I what, agree, Bina. I think you're right. <laughs> I think it makes sense, but what's bothering me is that they are also portrayed as like kind of goofy, and so there's this weird dissonance between them leaving people behind and also being these goofy characters. Yeah, I think that's fair. Then again, I sort of feel maybe it's trying to add some depth because I think even the hobbits can come across that way, can't they? And it's yeah, it's always it's always the danger. I think that people always think the hobbits are just these kind of jolly fellows who who smoke pipe weed and get concerned about second breakfast and have no real depth. And then similarly, or likewise, um, they think the elves are just these pure ethereal beings who never get rapey pillagey and never are angry and impatient like us. You know, like you see, you have this vision of sort of Galadriel, whatever, from the films and, and the sort of the aged elves. And you forget that actually for much of their history, they weren't these all all powerful, all knowing, all good, mm-hmm. all the time, boring, banal people. So, yeah, maybe no, it's agree. just think, the nature of fantasy. Think, sure. And I'm, I'm, I agree that it's good that they are uh, building this communities uh, in, in, like, they have more depth than maybe they had in in the books initially or in in the first um, adaptations. But the specific point is with accidental death that they are reading the names like these people were killed by wolves or stuff like that. Um, that's all fine. It's it's more the kind of too harsh treatment of the Brandefoot family that that makes it weird. Yeah, and there's. Uh, Nori's friend, I forget her name, who apparently is an orphan and like her whole family was part of the names that they read. Mm-hmm. And she's left by herself to carry her her little carriage. And the the community is there to remember her family, but not there to support her through these new migrations. So I I, I agree with you, Marie, that there's a dissonance between like the the community spirit that they seem to have and the their actions yes exactly towards the weaker members of the community yeah and even the the like the father who broke broke his uh, leg like surely there is another family with like one um, member of the family that's not needed uh, who's not needed to help with their own thing and who can help this family i mean it's like yeah. Yeah, you broke your you broke you broke your leg. Just deal with it. Uh, we'll leave you alone to do to do that. It's that seems weird, but yeah, um, I guess we we've said I've said <laughs> what I meant. Yeah, I agree. It is a bit selectively compassionate. <laughs> is maybe the word. Okay, well then let's move to the the final location in this episode, which was the prison camp that our elf. Pop has been sent to and um, being oppressed by the orcs 
to cut down a beautiful old tree. And then I think that the key point is at the end, there is this very shadowy figure that emerges and that could be Sauron in one of his guises or something else. Um, What would you guys like to say about this part of the story? I'm certainly not seeing the wisdom of the Eldar from some of these elf people. Um, When that leader makes such a thing about cutting the tree down. And I was like, I'm just a stupid man, and I can tell you that you're going to get someone killed by, you know, you can cut the tree down and feel bad about it, or you can get someone killed and then cut the tree down. <laughs> they, um, these guys, um, they're not, like, El- Eldar in, they're Sylvan Elves, so they're basically, like, Legolas and all that, and they really love trees. So, of course, ah, they're going to stand up me, they for are, the They are woodland elves, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And also, like they've they've been guarding the area for eighty years, and they never realized there was an entire network of tunnels being dug by yeah, the and orcs not, it's during that not time. Not like they're hard to spot, yeah, yeah, and they're in the big they're, tower, they're, they're so like they've everywhere. got the perfect angle. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not entirely convinced by the plot line. Yeah, I, I thought it was too clunky. I thought like maybe the ending scene was the only thing you know thing we had to see from that digging i don't think we had to revisit it like two or three times like they did in the episode i just don't like it and you're right the leader was a fucking idiot and yeah it doesn't seem like the elves did a very good job at anything huh they were very graceful when they were whipping those chains around i did kind of like that i was like whoa yeah the fight scene was was good is there was good action going on I, I don't know. I feel just like they they keep on going to that well of like, oh, like in the first episode when Galadriel ran up a sword blade, like, we get it. Come on, stop it. And I felt like they were doing the same thing with the chains. Like, oh, they're able to whip the chains just perfectly. So they'd hit the elves or the orcs right in the face. But they are elves. I enjoy seeing their superhuman qualities um, and in a way that distinguishes them from men and the other the other species or races. I would like more magic, actually. Um, perhaps some overt uses of it would be interesting. Maybe you'll get it once well, we saw... Ranger kind of like finds himself a little bit more. Yeah, he kind of made all the fires get a little brighter there for a second. That was That's an interesting magic. scene. Yeah, I, I wasn't wasn't quite sure what was going on with those fires, but yeah, it was intriguing. He couldn't put out the piece of paper that he lit on fire. He doesn't have a staff, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah. So maybe we can sum up this episode as Elendil hot, uh, Numenorians pig-headed, Galadriel hasty, which we know is a bad word from the Ents, Harfoot uncompassionate, Elf cops dumb. Yes. <laughs> it makes it sound a lot worse than it was. I know, like I enjoyed it. Like <laughs> visuals awesome, music great, Numenor wow. <laughs> I, I also like the, the visuals of the orcs. I think they look they look intimidating but not gross like Peter Jackson's orcs did. And I like yeah. how like their little tent thing is kind of handmade and you see that there's a there's the this element of tribalism with the skulls and and stuff. I, I, I like how the orcs look. Um, I like the detail. Can I ask the... maybe a stupid question? There are no stupid questions. Oh, they are when they're coming from me. Um, <laughs> who shot uh, the elf with the arrow? And from what area were they shooting? And did I miss that? Or did was that ever explained? There were three people on the distant horizon, I think. Uh, and they were, looked like the archers that had shot him. 
Were they goblins? Were they orcs? Like, I I didn't understand how he suddenly had an arrow in him that wasn't fired by an orc. I don't know who that was. It was pretty hard to tell, yeah, who they were exactly. Yeah, my initial thought was it was the men from the village that they came from, but then we don't see where the, well, who fired the arrows, so... The fletching was green. That's that's very important. <laughs> yeah, I, I I noticed that as well. <laughs> Maybe there are dark men in the forest, and that's kind of setting up kid that gave blood to the sword or whatever in the next episode. Maybe. Yeah, there could be some evil men lurking around. I guess. What some ex Morgoth worship or current Morgoth worshippers? Mm. I guess. Okay, that makes sense. All right. Well, I think that was a good episode. It gave us Numenor. It told us where we stood with the Numenorians, which was cool. Didn't really progress much else, but that's fine. We'll see where it goes next week. I remain hopeful. I'm actually, I think I'm enjoying this more than I am House of the Dragon. Although it's not Same. a competition. Definitely. But I wasn't expecting that to be the case. But hey, it's great to have both right. What a time to be alive for a nerd. Um, yeah, and- I was so disappointing with the first season of uh, The Wheel of Time that I really wasn't expecting much for from Amazon on this, but I'm happy with it. And I, I wanted to say as well, I, I'm loving the music and I think they're doing a very good job. And this is also a big part of my Lord of the Rings love is is the music from the Peter Jackson's movies. So uh, yeah, Howard Shore's back. He's only back for the main theme, not for yeah. The rest the is um... music of the episodes, but yeah, and it's really it's interesting because I knew Bear McCreary from one of my all time favorite TV series, which is not Outlander. It's um, <laughs> although I did quite like the first season of that. It was Battlestar Galactica, the reup that took place. Oh right, it was him as well. Geez, yeah. twenty years ago now, so now I feel really old. But it's kind of funny hearing the music here because you do see some of the classic Bear McCreary rhythms and use of instruments, but with the Howard yeah. Shaw themes that he's reinterpreting. So for me, it's almost like the best of both because I love the classic Howard Shaw, but because it's a different composer, it's different enough, but still somehow works. So I'm, I'm really enjoying the music a lot. So yeah, um, absolutely. Okay, it seems like we're ending on a positive note, and that that pleases me. (laughs) Thank you very much for podcasting, everyone. I wasn't really planning on doing one, but I enjoyed the episode so much, and it was such a weird week, and I thought it would be good. It would stop me wallowing and watching the news on repeat of the Queen. So thank you for jumping on. It was very cheering, which I appreciate. A little box snuggle, you know? Uh, I needed a little Vok audio hug this afternoon, so thank you for providing it. <laughs> Yay. Well, I gotta say, I'm really happy that I'm, I'm reconnecting with my nerd side um, these past few weeks with House of the Dragon and then this. So yay for Vok for bringing uh, that into my life. All right, boys and girls, have a lovely rest of weekend. And I'll speak to, I guess, some of you on Monday for um, Wolfcast. All welcome. Yep. See you then. Bye. Thanks, Nina. No worries. Bye. Bye. See you guys. Bye. Yeah. Palando. Holding out for Palando. You were voting for the other guy. (laughs) Some some nerd is listening to this screaming. (laughs) Oh, they're already screaming at our audio quality. So this is, you know... Whatever. I mean, uh, they might they might also scream at our um, counting of the rings because last last week is like, wait, with the one ring, that's twenty, right? Why are we counting eight, uh, 19? So whatever, our math is not um, amazing either. So. <laughs> Battles of King's Grey, come for the math, stay for the dick jokes. I mean, I don't think math <laughs> has ever really seen as us from being on this podcast. <laughs>
podcast. <laughs> if you're coming true. here for the math, you're 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 going to be sadly disappointed, and you should, yeah. you should definitely leave right now. 